Welcome to the third season of PEBC's Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. My name is Michelle Morris-Jones, and in this season, I'll be sharing conversations with educators and leaders who are making schools and classrooms more phenomenal than ever before by implementing community, planning, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment practices that promote agency, equity, and understanding for each and every learner. I am honored to share these conversations of innovation and passion with all of you. Thank you so much for listening in. It is such a pleasure to welcome Brooke Odrobinak and Beth Kelly back as guests on the Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. Brooke and Beth are the co-authors of Teaching, Learning, and Trauma, Responsive Practices for Holding Steady in Turbulent Times. Welcome back, you two. It's great to see you. It's great yeah, to be thank here. You, yeah, great to be back. Well, you know, as we start our conversation today, I just am so excited to have you both as guests because you two, as a partnership, have really created this interesting body of work where you look at mental health and wellness through the lens of both teachers and students. And I think that for today's conversation, it's going to be really, really interesting for us to unpack and explore what are all the ways in which we can support teachers and students to make it to Monday during this really, really turbulent time? I know that some of our listeners have listened in on your podcast before and gotten to know you, but let's just jump in with a couple introductions. Beth, you bring a rich mental health perspective to this partnership. It has been such a positive experience for me to get to know you and work with you over the last year and a half or so. But do you mind telling your, our listeners a little bit about you and your work? You bet. Thanks, Michelle. Um, I worked as a school-based psychotherapist for most of my career in schools, and I currently work as a coach and consultant um, for educators who really value a more trauma-informed model and caring for the people in their buildings, so promoting health and wellness through this lens of uh, trauma-informed work. Thank you, Beth. And Brooke, we know that you and I have had this opportunity to work together for almost two decades, which seems unreal but it's true. And I know that you bring this amazing, rich school perspective to the partnership. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your current work and a little bit about your beliefs in history with us as well? Yeah, thanks, Michelle. It's good to see you and good to see you too, Beth. Um, so in my work, I primarily am in charge of creating conditions under which really amazing, capable, smart, heart-driven people um, can do their work, namely around instruction and curriculum and mentoring and coaching. Um, and one of the things that feels really important to me right now is the idea of coming in around educators as a whole person and leading from the mental health stance. And so the work that Beth and I have been doing seems more important than ever, as it is the foundation for anything we're going to do um, moving forward around assessments and curriculum design and instructional delivery. Thank you. So I think you know, that's really, I think, the crux of our conversation today is how can we as educators, the adults in the buildings, really be um, ready to support students? And in your book, in chapter three, which has an amazing title, Check Yourself Before You Wreck Yourself, you two outlined a number of self-care strategies. And you really, really build the argument that teachers must take care of themselves in order to be in service of students and student learning. And I believe that when you wrote that chapter, it was pre-pandemic, and you had no idea where the world would be today. Really, you know, the world at that point 
had never experienced this level of stress or this level of trauma as a community, particularly in the education community. So my question for both of you is, where are we now? What are you noticing in schools? What are you noticing with educators, educational professionals, particularly the social and emotional wellness of teachers and school leaders? What's kind of the status, current state right now? So it's funny that you asked that question because I feel like I spent several hours in the middle of the night last night thinking about, um, you know, where are we? And it's just been, you know, a little bit past Labor Day. And what I feel like is what I what we're experiencing is what I heard on the radio. I think it was NPR earlier this summer um, from some health professionals talking about um, a mental health tsunami that would be hitting us at some point as school began. And I just kept thinking about that metaphor in regards to the intensity and the enormity of what we're all experiencing and feeling in many ways a free fall. And I don't think it matters what level of education you're in at the moment, whether you're a teacher, administrator, certainly a student. I I can speak personally to being a parent in this time also. When you say, where are we now? That's what it feels like to me, Michelle. And, um, you know, in that, of course, there are certain responses. And I know Beth can speak astutely to that, too, is, you know, what happens when there's a threat as big as this and ongoing trauma and ongoing chronic stress. Um, So that that to me is it is it is here and it it feels very um, it feels very. I guess, timely in in its description. Mm. So Beth, what would you want to add to that? What are you noticing? Yeah, just to echo what Brooke is saying, our nervous systems are taxed. And thinking about being in the situation now for a couple of years of not just the pandemic, but all the other stressors that are happening for people in their lives and in our global community, that our nervous systems are overtaxed. And we're in this, in this, um, cycle of chronic stress where we're not able to sort of complete the stress cycle where maybe we get activated by a stressor or something that's happening. We have our stress response, the fight, flight, freeze that we talk a lot about. Um, and there's a huge impact to that. And then and then in, in sort of a normal cycle, there will be some type of resolution of that stressor and then some rest. Mm. And yet what we've been experiencing now is this chronic state of not being able to complete that cycle because there's still so much uncertainty and there's so much um, uh, chronic stress happening that the stressors aren't being resolved, so to speak, kind of an easy way. Mm -hmm. Thank you both. I mean, I think you really both just painted a picture and I'm sure a lot of listeners are making some connections like, oh, that does name how I'm feeling you're right. As soon as one stressor seems to kind of dip down, something else pops up or the stress just never goes away. So let's, you know, one of the things I love about your book and I love about the work that you two do together is that you show both sides of the coin. You know, what does this really look like when we think about just like that school side, like education, classrooms, teachers, and then also really what's happening in terms of our minds and our bodies. So Brooke, I'd love to invite you to talk a little bit about the school side of things, um, you know, everyone's talking about like, we're learning to go back to school. We're learning to do school again. And so that is causing, I think, a lot of the stress and a lot of the 
the trauma that educators are are experiencing. Do you mind talking a little bit about those root causes of some of that stress that's at that school level for us? Yeah, certainly. And I think you're alluding to it, Michelle, right? We've been out of practice. Um, And when you think about how highly socialized educational environments are for all of us, um, that we have to learn how to re-engage in relationship in all the ways that we once knew how to do. Um, and probably were more p- productive and more constructive in that regard because we were more practiced. And I think now that we are re-entering our ecosystems, um, mm-hmm. and, and in the ways that Beth is talking about too, in a chronic state, right, of, of um, kind of that unrelenting stress that we're not completing the cycle in ways we might normally. So not only are we re-entering into our, our educational communities, but we're also doing so with a higher tenor of stress um, and in our response in that, right? It can be anything. I mean, we do know people, and I think Michelle, we've talked about this, that there are people that are managing this um, in some pretty healthy ways. And then there's a lot of folks that are feeling taxed in the ways that Beth is describing. So it, it, it does certainly travel along a continuum, but the idea that we're all back together, we're trying to remember our norms. What are the norms again? And how do we go about abiding on them, abiding within them, um, when perhaps we've forgotten or we're just out of practice. That's really interesting. So then when we think about reestablishing community, reestablishing norms, I'm guessing there's also then a different level of conflict that we might not have experienced when classrooms were socially distanced or when we were all learning and working from home. Because as you said, we're all coming back together in community. So I'm thinking a little bit about conflict and boundaries. And it feels like the longest or biggest first day of school ever. Like this month of September is this really... (laughs) really elongated first day of school. <laughs> and so when we think about that, Brooke, what is the impact then on educators? What are their, oh, what are some of the, the reactions? are tired, right? And in that, um, and just back to the central nervous system, right? Being stabilized and steady in the ways that Beth talks about it. Um, I think there's, we're seeing a lot of overreaction, like things that might not normally bother you or like really bothering you. Kids being late for class, a kid who has a, his head on the desk, um, students that are arguing over a, a resource. Um, and then there's the underreaction and feeling like, I, what am I doing here? I don't know if anything I'm going to do today is going to make any difference because this is so big and overwhelming. And what's upon me is, uh, is just truly that overwhelming. So I, I, I think we're seeing it, 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 people react in different ways, um, whether it's above or kind of a bel- below the line. And certainly it's happening for kids too, right? So everybody within the organization, the community are having these experiences based on, um, you know, their natural response to, to triggers and to stressors. Wow. So Brooke, when we look around and we, we see our colleagues and our students or ourselves with extreme fatigue, we're hearing about burnout, we're seeing the tears and the emotions, and I think witnessing some really low efficacy with teachers and with our school leaders. My question then is for Beth. Beth, is this is this normal? I mean, that's so many different responses to stress. What do you want us to think about when we're either experiencing those reactions, if you will, or if we're supporting colleagues who are experiencing those type of reactions? 
Yeah, it is such a normal response to stress. So, you know, as you may look around and and see some of your colleagues that seem like they have it all together, and maybe they have a different set of coping skills or different life experience or a different relationship with resiliency, and it's not a flaw in you if you're struggling or this is hard. So I just want to name that for people. This is a normal human reaction, and we are humans in a heart-centered business. And as I think about how to best support ourselves and our colleagues is really um, to simplify as you think about that nervous system response and what can I control and what can't I control? So as we think through the lens of self-regulation or co-regulation, maybe I need to um, join with a colleague or connect with a loved one to help me uh, either to find a calm space or to activate some energy if my energy is low, right? So whatever ways you're choosing to regulate, maybe it's by regulating your environment that you're in. Where are places that I can start to prioritize what's important for me? And that is going to be my physical health in the body because our nervous system lives in the body. And when our nervous system is dysregulated, we need to look and care, look to and care for the body in order to find that place of steadiness. Wow. So Beth, you just said something that's really, really powerful. Like everything that we're experiencing, we meaning people in the world right now, specifically for this conversation for educators, is absolutely normal. That we might feel extreme fatigue. We might feel extreme energy. We might feel fine. Or we might have times when we're feeling really, really low. But all of those are natural reactions to stress. And you're inviting us to think about the ways in which we're caring for our physical body. That's correct. Yeah. Wow. So I think that this is a great place for us to kind of turn our conversation into really what can we do? What can we do to take care of ourselves and those that we support? And I think one of the things, two things that you just mentioned, Beth, are kind of these big ideas, like this idea around prioritization. What do we have control over and how do we take care of ourselves? And so I'd love to think about that again from both the personal level, but then also from the school level. So when we think about um, those big ideas, when we think about at school, Brooke, what are you thinking about? Well, I'm thinking about living by the mantra that less is more. And I think that from both a classroom leadership perspective and in a school leadership perspective, this is the time to lean into what we know how to do and to do that really well and to slow things down and to not add more initiatives and not add more projects and not feel as though this is the time to start um, all over or something new, or I'll frankly just say it, accelerate. I mean, I don't know how we can possibly be talking about acceleration when our adults and our kids aren't really even on the bus at the moment. So there is something as I'm looking at this and and I'm engaged in systems and in cultures and communities where I'm, I think it's just slowing down and less is more. And the ways in which Beth is talking about prioritizing, like what is the most important thing that we can do today in our classroom? What is the most important thing we can do today in our school? And I think a lot of the answers that I'm hearing to that question, those questions right now is about people. And about leaning in and listening to people and knowing people and being engaged in relationships 
um, in a way that perhaps maybe we haven't slowed down and been as attentive to in the past because there are so many demands. And I, I recognize that. But in that, it's like if the less is more then what we're looking at is these priority areas that have us spending our time, which is in our is limited and our energy, which is limited in ways that I think can really have a higher rate of return than if we're doing a bunch of different things and not doing them very well and scattering our energy and our resources um, in ways that just won't come back to serve us well and certainly won't help us to be that resilient educator um, and helping us to persist through this unbelievably difficult time. Mm-hmm. So Brooke, that's interesting because it makes me think about just this idea of determining importance. And, you know, we put everything in the spaghetti strainer and we give it a big shake and the most important things should stay in that colander. I'm inferring that you're asking us to kind of widen the width of the holes in the colander and let some extra things go and just hold on to really what's most important. And I know from personal experience and working with others that that's really, really, really hard to do. So Beth, for those in, who are listening, who are thinking about, okay, I hear this. I hear the idea of prioritization. I know that less is more. It's important to focus on what's most important today, but how do we do it? Like, no, what are your great, suggestions? That's a great question. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I love the spaghetti metaphor too. Um, <laughs> that we have to make a choice to prioritize our health and well being. And if people were to just take a moment, even your listeners right now to take a couple of deep breaths and check in from that body centered place, like what's happening for me right now in my body, what's happening for me in my mind, where's my energy levels at, all the answers are there around what you need and why you should do it. So we can continue to push through and snowplow and accelerate and do all those things we've been doing, but people already know when that's not working for them. So part of it is being a conscious choice that I'm going to prioritize my own health and well-being so that I can show up as the most grounded, healthy, effective, loving, creative, courageous educator or school leader. And, you know, I recently read something about resilience and it was speaking about resilience is about or I I would say one one uh, piece of resilience is really about recharging and not enduring. You know, we think resilience is like just get through and uh, bootstraps and white knuckles and all of those things. But really, if you're not taking the time to care for your physical body, to invite creativity into your life, to rest, to slow down, to assess and even locate yourself in these times, it will be very hard for you to sustain in these turbulent times. So I'm thinking about really simple entry points in a long answer to your question, Michelle, which is, am I breathing? Am I taking time to breathe? That's our body's cue to the nervous system that I'm calm and I'm well, taking some really deep breaths, really focusing on lengthening that exhale. Am I moving my body in some form? This doesn't need to be, you know, going to the gym five times a week for two hours a day, but how am I moving and stretching and, um, walking and doing all of the things to shift some energy in our body. So our body holds that stress and trauma. Am I laughing? 
Am I crying if the tears need to flow? Am I allowing them to flow versus stuffing them down, right? So those are some of the really simple ways as I think about prioritizing health and well-being and finding the thing that works for you, not the shoulds, but the things that are really aligned with your lifestyle, with your belief systems and what you know, it's, is it drinking water? Is it having good nutrition? Like whatever the basics, right? All right. So Beth, you gave us a couple assignments there. And one of the first thing you one of the, the first things that you said was we have to pause and we have to check in with ourselves. Now, again, I'll put myself out there. I'm not very good at slowing down or pausing. So if I were going to do that, what would it sound like? Can you take us through just like one minute of like slowing down and checking in with ourselves? What does that look like and sound like in my head? What should I be thinking about? Do you want to guide us in just a quick? I know if you're if you're driving and if Beth asks us to like close our eyes, pull over. But can you just take us through just a second or two of what is that? What does it feel like to slow down? Yes. Oh, I'd love to. I would love to. Let's do it right now. You don't even okay. have to close your eyes or do anything. Let's just take a few deep breaths where you begin by inhaling from the lowest part of your belly and through your nose all the way up into your chest, into your brain, that space between your eyes, and exhaling out your mouth with a loud sigh. Let's do it two more times. Last one, really focus on slowing and lengthening the exhale. And then take a couple of breaths here just to notice. Check in with your body. Noticing any areas of tension. What's your body trying to communicate to you? Check in around your energy. Notice the quality and the speed of your thoughts. And a couple more breaths just to notice, and then you're back. So a practice like that that's so simple but intentional. So whether that's setting your phone to five times a day that says breathe, right? The more you practice this, I promise, that story shifts that says I'm just not good at slowing down or I'm just not that kind of person or I just have to do all these other millions of things, which can also be true, and a moment to pause to just increase your awareness around what you're needing, where are you, what's happening for you, and is there something that needs attention? So I just want to piggyback on that <clears throat> in terms of what this can look like in a building. This is how you can start your classroom at the beginning of the day or the beginning of the period. This is two, a two-minute exercise that has a huge rate of return on equal, of creating a stabilizing element to the work, right? You can do this in a faculty meeting. You can do this in a department meeting if, if you're leading PLCs. I mean, this is just a moment to just ground ourselves and to be in contact with our body and to hear what it's saying to us in terms of what we need to do next. Do we need to move, hydrate? Do we need nutrition? Do we need a hug? Do I need to be with people? Um, so I, I do I do want to say that there's a very practical application to this. And I know for some of our listeners, it might be like, whoa, whoa, what? 
what is this? But in fact, it really is just like you would start your day with a cup of coffee or your class period with a grounding or, um, you know, a warm up. I mean, this is just part of what we do when we're really trying to steady ourselves. And there's a tremendous amount of research in this field, too. So, hey, science teachers out there, study breathing and the nervous system. And let's teach students and create this culture of a little bit more of an increased awareness. Right. So we're not living in such a reactive space all the time. It's fascinating because there is so much research around it and it is a simple practice, but it takes so much willpower and it takes so much intentionality. You think about, you know, especially in, in a classroom or in a PLC, I love that idea, Brooke, or at the beginning of a staff meeting, just in what ways can we model and practice this idea of recharging? And Beth, I just love the way that you phrase that about recharging, not enduring. And if we could kind of take that as a mantra or as a, as a, a reminder that we want to be mindful of the ways in which we can recharge our batteries rather than just enduring. I mean, you said you had that bootstrap mentality, that white knuckle, like we're just going to get through this. But what if we didn't just get through? What if we enjoyed it? What if we had some space during this time to feel those connections with others. And I think that's another thing I'd love to hear your perspectives on is this idea around connection and being in community. Schools are highly interdependent places. Um, We have so many students, so many teachers working together, having different touch points with one another. In what ways can that help us recharge rather than endure? And what do we need to be mindful of as communities are coming back together. So yesterday I was looking back over a self-care plan. And one of the ways that um, Beth and I have framed self-care in the book that you mentioned, um, Michelle, earlier in this podcast, that really what we're looking at is less and more of things, not trying to put more on our plate only to say, now I'm going to begin these things, now I'm going to do these things. But instead, like looking at the relationships and our interactions in our schools and at home, I mean, we're, we're you know, we're for people with a spectrum um, of roles. And just to think about who are the people that you want to spend more time with that really do give you energy, that are positive, that help you be your most creative self, your most well self versus those that you need to perhaps spend less time with. Um, And really, I think taking a moment to think about those interactions, because again, the time, money, not I should say money, but the time and our energy and our resources are limited. So, you know, really, where are you choosing to have connections? Because I would say that I'm not sure all connection can always be a positive thing because, I, I, you know, I think especially in some of these times where we are around people that may not be managing and responding in ways that are really healthy for us as individuals. And so I think to kind of curate, if you will, um, you know, who it is that you are in community with is an important effort um, especially right now, because you want to be around those people that are filling your buckets Um, And just kind of mitigating or drawing some boundaries around those relationships that really are drawing more from you than you can give. 
I think too around how am I showing up in relationship um, to make the direct connect for your listeners around self-care, my own personal self-care and how I'm showing up in relationships. Am I showing, am I the one showing up in this really activated um, space where I am uh, feeling um, maybe my needs feel too great. Maybe I feel like I have to sacrifice myself to be in relationship with others. And I don't, I'm telling myself a story that says I don't have time because I have to do and be all the time for others. So maybe there's some boundary work in there Um, to be thinking about what is the quality of the relationships that I have in my life with, with, with my colleagues, with my friends, with school leaders, with students, right? And what is my responsibility in showing up in a way that can honor and create some healthy relationships? Because from the nervous system perspective, again, my nervous system is always looking for another calm nervous system. This is who we are as people. And so when I can show up and be that calm presence, that will help other people to be a calm presence. And when I am dysregulated and I may need to connect to someone, I'm looking for someone who is more calm versus someone who's going to make me more escalated and activated. Hmm. So two really big themes have emerged from our conversation today. This idea is less is more, both in the work space of being within a school or a school system and within our own kind of daily lives. How can we prioritize so that we can take care of ourselves? How can we prioritize in the school setting so that we can take on the right amount? And then the theme of healthy relationships and being in community and establishing communities where energy is being exchanged, not taken. So as we wrap up our conversation today, and we you know, have this theme of this idea around making it to Monday, how can we recharge rather than endure? What is your call to action for our listeners? Oh, my gonna- call to action is in action. My call <laughs> to action, Michelle, is rest. Giving ourselves permission to rest. It's critically important. All the research points to it. Wow. Thanks, Beth. How about for you, Brooke? Oh, I was kind of similar because we were thinking about the the water bottle sticker. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of pump the brakes. I love it. Pump the brakes. And I'm okay, thinking to crazy with that metaphor, right? Before the before the vehicle goes off the cliff, right? Before you hit the wall, before you, you know, run out of gas. Run out of gas. Right. But I also think about pump the brakes from another perspective or this idea of rest in terms of beauty. I mean, you know, like if you're driving around this time of year as the seasons change, if you don't pump the brakes, you're gonna miss a lot of cool stuff. I mean, leaves are changing. The sky is incredible right now. Um, I live, you know, kind of western side of the Denver metro area. We had a moose in our neighborhood yesterday, right? So if I don't pump the brakes, if I don't slow down, I could miss a lot of beauty and a lot of opportunities for conversation, for engagement, for connection. I could miss that nap that I have been looking forward to for the last two years. I could miss an opportunity to do some baking with someone I care about or to take some time to invest in creativity, 
what it is I want to do. So I just want to thank you both for your wisdom and your ideas and your inspiration. I hope that we can all take some things from this conversation. Perhaps it's a breathing exercise. Perhaps it's prioritizing. Perhaps it's just finding a little bit of time for rest. So thank you both. Thanks so much, Michelle. Great to see you and Brooke as well. Yeah, good to see you ladies. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in. The Phenomenal Teaching Podcast is brought to you by PEBC, Public Education and Business Coalition, and is intended to elevate the strands of the PEBC teaching framework, which is illustrated in Wendy Wardhofer's book, Phenomenal Teaching. PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, but works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding for each and every learner. PEBC provides customized on-site professional development and coaching for schools and districts, facilitates a variety of institutes and seminars, and offers an array of online learning experiences for all educators. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. 